1: Welcome to another edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. Chris Whittingham and Ethan Skolnick as ever. You can check out our Monday episode on the Cleveland Cavaliers on this same feed. Since we taped it, they've had a fake illness and gave up 114 (laughs) to a Spurs team without Kawhi, Ginobili, Gasol, and Rudy Gay. Ethan, I'd say it was damn near prescient. Yeah, uh, prescient would be a
2: good word for it. We probably could have waited a day as it turned out. But, yeah, I feel, mo- I feel a little bit better about my argument now the- that the Cavaliers would not go to the finals this year, although I guess Ty Lue now says he's going to finally change his starting lineup, so maybe that'll be the elixir that they need. I mean, it's rearranging the deck chairs, isn't it? Pretty much, although I don't know how it could be much worse than than having J.R. Smith in your starting lineup right now. So I-, I would assume, and I saw that J.R. Uh, basically came out and said that he would be okay with moving to the bench at this point, it's a little easier to say that after you go 0-4-4 uh, and contribute nothing on the defensive end, as was the case against San
1: Antonio. Right now, though, we're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins and specifically a big decision they have to make. As we move closer to the draft, we want to get to what the Dolphins should do at quarterback, but today we're going to talk about what they should do at receiver. Jarvis Landry is a free agent. The jockeying to win the public opinion battle has begun, and now we're going to break down the five reasons the Dolphins should or shouldn't do this. Ethan, you have the against case. I have the four case. He just finished a four-year rookie deal that saw him make $3,474,911. Extraordinary value for a player who produced exactly 100 receptions a season since being drafted in the second round. But the question we'll tackle in this podcast is, will he continue being that kind of value on another contract? Yeah, I mean, that becomes the question here. And we we
2: had a similar question with Hassan Whiteside's situation with the Miami Heat a couple of years ago, where you were getting this unbelievable value, but then you had to swing to the complete other extreme to pay a guy perhaps more than he's worth to be able to retain him. and And the Miami Heat made the decision that they did not want to lose the asset. And so they signed Hassan Whiteside to a four-year, $98 million deal. And we can certainly debate at some point whether or not that has been a good investment or simply an investment that they had to make not not necessarily by choice but because they felt that they had to at that time. And I think we we are here with Jarvis Landry. The, where I want to start with this is what he's made to this point. Although again, I've really liked him as a player. I liked the draft pick when they made it out of the second round out of LSU and he has been, you could argue, their most, I mean, you could argue very easily, their most productive offensive player for sure, and you could argue he's been their most productive player overall over the past two or three seasons. But with that being said, what he's done so far to me doesn't matter so much as what he's going to do going forward. And yet I think you can look at some of what he's done so far and make a compelling case. And I will try to make it today that he is not worth what he is likely seeking here based on some of the comments that his agent has made and some of what we've seen in terms of the market and the way it's played
1: out for other receivers. All right. So I'll go ahead and start with reason number one, arguing the four case. He's elite. He's elite at what he's asked to do. Now, that is a very different thing than being elite, right? Because if you want to talk about Antonio Brown or Julio Jones or whoever of the big receivers, Odell Beckham, the guys who reliably are making big plays, they're constantly being put in position to make big plays. Now, if you put Jarvis Landry in a position to to go and do that, he may not excel. But When you're basically constantly throwing him the ball a yard away from the line of scrimmage and saying, go make chicken salad out of chicken bleep, go and get these yards after the catch, fight for the dirty yards that are going to get us first downs again and again, he does the job over and over and over again. And so, yes, his yards per reception number is 10.1 over the course of 400 catches. He had over 100 catches this year and didn't get to 1,000 yards. And generally, that would lead you to believe he's not very good at creating yards after catch. But you have to constantly be analyzing, where is he getting the ball? What is he being asked to do? And when you look at the fact that, from a strategic point of view, he is both the quarterback's most desired option and I thought that might change with Jay Cutler coming in that didn't change in fact it almost in certain respects got more advanced him being the number 1 option and when you look at what Adam Gase is trying to do by trading Jay Ajayi this is a quick passing move the ball down the field through the air yards after the catch minimize mistakes offense and Jarvis Landry has an elite skill set at what he is asked to do that is very different from being an overall elite receiver but in the context of this offense, he is worth a substantial amount of money. All right, I'm going to try to
2: go at you here with my first reason. I guess that's our second reason overall. And I'm, I'm going to give it to you the fact that the way the offense has been designed during Jarvis Landry's time has certainly played into his lack of yards per catch. But we're talking about an extreme lack of yards per catch here. You've got a guy here who is 17th in the NFL this past year in overall yardage. We know 112 catches leads the NFL. You take a look, though, at the top 40 receivers in terms of receiving yards and look at how many catches they had of plus 20. Okay, 20 or more yards, all right? Antonio Brown led the league with 27. We obviously know he's elite, and he has an elite quarterback there in Pittsburgh. DeAndre Hopkins, an elite receiver who half the year— didn't play with a very good quarterback. The first half of the year, he played with a rookie in Deshaun Watson. The second half of the year, he was playing with Tom Savage for the most part, ended up with 24 catches of 20-plus yards. Julio Jones, elite guy, 23 catches of 20-plus yards. Jarvis Landry had six catches the entire season of 20-plus yards. You go through the top 40 in terms of overall yardage at the receiver position, and no one else had fewer than seven, and that was Zach Ertz, a tight end for Philadelphia. Everyone else on this list, even guys who are considered to be possession guys, like you take a look at a guy like Devin Funches with Carolina, who sort of emerged as their number one, particularly after the trade of Kelvin Benjamin. But you're talking about a bigger receiver on the outside, not a burner. 15 catches for over 20 yards. So Jarvis Landry does not give you. And we can say that a lot of this has to do with the offense and the way that it's designed and the fact that they use him sort of as a running back in terms of throwing the wide receiver flats out to him and trying to get him to make something out of nothing. And he is good at breaking tackles, but to have only six catches of 20 plus yards and then to make the leap that you're going to pay a guy who's giving you that kind of production, $14 million per year, or roughly that is just a hard case for, for me to make. I mean, somewhere around the $10 million area, I can make that case, but something else I'm going to get into a little bit later. When you're you're the Dolphins and you have so many needs at so many different positions, can you be investing $14 million on a guy who gave you six chunk plays the entire season, even with his increase in touchdowns, even with his improvement in the red zone? I have a hard time making that case.
1: And that's totally understandable. You look at the numbers overall from this past season. I filtered out running backs and tight ends. Just looking at the receivers in the NFL that had at least 50 catches this year. He finished 49th out of 49 in terms of yards per reception. But... You mentioned the touchdowns there and, and, and the red zone improvement. He was tied for third in, among that same group of receivers in touchdowns with nine, along with Marvin Jones, Antonio Brown, Alshon Jeffrey, and obviously Jarvis Landry. Finished ahead of A.J. Green, who would be in that category of guys that you would throw in with you know that 14 to $16 million range. You mentioned Hopkins and Devontae Adams are, are the receivers, the only ones that finished above him. So they figured out a way to scheme in the red zone and inside the 10-yard line where they can find him open and make these plays that lead to six points. Now, I guess you can look at the fact that the Dolphins do have complementary receivers that, that are theoretically meant to make up for that lack of big plays. I think looking at an individual player... In the context of football, can sometimes be a bit damaging, right? So, if Jarvis Landry was surrounded by other Jarvis Landry's, then it would be a problem. But Kenny Stills is supposed to theoretically be a different kind of player. Devontae Parker is meant to theoretically be a different kind of player to what Jarvis Landry is. And if you were to sort of look at it in a vacuum, these would be very complementary players. And so, if you have Jarvis Landry making this amount of money with Devontae Parker producing and with Kenny Stills producing at the level in which that they are meant to, I think this would all work out because Jarvis Landry in the NFL, you really don't see teams rely on big plays. You look at what the Patriots just did to get to the Super Bowl. The theme of the NFL more and more is the short passing game and getting you know six to eight yards at a time, moving the chains, don't create mistakes, and I'm not sure... If we're still valuing receivers the correct way, because if you're basically saying you're only valuable to me if you can create big plays, I don't think that's commensurate with the way that the league is moving.
2: Well, you're right about that. No question. But I think it's so extreme in this case. You mentioned New England. Okay, they had the 10th and 11th receivers. Rob Gronkowski is a tight end. But in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, yards this season, 10th and 11th in the league, Gronkowski and Brandon Cooks. Those guys, and this is a team, again, that relies on the short passing game for the most part and has in recent years – each of them had 18 catches of 20-plus yards this season. So when you're looking at Jarvis Landry, yes, he had a lot of yards after the catch, okay? 466 yards after the catch this season, and a lot of that plays into your first point where he's catching the ball close to the line of scrimmage and asked to sort of pick up six or seven yards. He did have 60 first downs this season for a team that struggled to pick up first downs, particularly on third downs. So he was valuable for them in the context— of what they do and what they've done And they, obviously he did not have an elite quarterback In Jay Cutler, just as he has not had An elite quarterback, although a better quarterback Than Jay Cutler in Ryan Tannehill I just think when you're looking at Paying somebody 13 $14, 15000000 million per year He needs to be a guy Who affects the game in terms of making big, big plays, and Jarvis just doesn't make all that many of them. Yes, the nine touchdowns got better in the red zone. I, I do think touchdowns are, are somewhat variable. Um, a lot of it is circumstantial, but I still look at it and I say, is this is essentially an elite slot receiver? Is that player worth that kind of chunk of your salary cap going forward in the current NFL? And I think we've also seen that a lot of teams have been able to have success without paying receivers a whole lot of money in recent years. You know, you look at Seattle, okay? Doug Baldwin, uh, his numbers this past season did not have as many catches as Jarvis. 75 catches, Jarvis had 112. Had eight touchdowns, Jarvis had nine touchdowns. But even Doug Baldwin, a guy who's not known sort of as a burner, more of a possession-type receiver, he averaged 13.2 yards per catch. Jarvis had 8.8. They averaged the same number of yards per game. So it was because Baldwin missed some time. And what is Doug Baldwin getting paid right now, Chris? I guess we'll have to look that up. But I think, to me, it, again, it raises the point of what are you paying for a guy who's giving you this kind of production? And to me, when, when you're talking about that kind of salary, it's the same argument that I made with and Sue, the most productive player at his particular position over the past three or four years. But is a defensive tackle in the modern NFL worth that portion of your salary cap? And I think what we've seen here with the Dolphins since Sue has been there is that the argument to be made there is probably
1: no. Now, Doug Baldwin uh, signed a four-year, $46 million contract. There, there is a handy tool on, the, on this website called Spotrack, which uh, sort of keeps track of all the contracts in the NFL. And it's this, I, there's this feature that's called new here. It says market value, calculated market value based on a player's age, a uh, contract status and statistical production to compare Jarvis Landry to. Now he's going to be 25 years old when he signs this contract, and here's the contracts that they're comparing it to based on based on his production and, and all these other factors. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who is five years, 81 million dollars, average salary 16.2. T.Y. Hilton, five years, 65 million, average salary 13. Keenan Allen, four years, 45. Uh, 11.3 average salary Uh, AJ Green four years 60 average salary 15 so they're basically saying when you combine all these things length of contract the overall value and average salary that Jarvis Landry's average salary what his market value would be would be five years 69 million dollars averaging about 13.8 per year does that sound like too much to you well, see, that's at the high end of what I would look at for mm-hmm.
2: him. I, I, you know, and again, I, I know some of those names are the ones that we're talking about. I think, you know, you look at a guy like Keenan Allen playing with a, again, a better quarterback in San Diego than, than certainly than Jarvis Landry had this year. Los Angeles, it, by the way. It, uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> I knew I was. Gonna uh, we're, we're, we're all we're all making that mistake. I still I, make I, that mistake. I'm still calling the Rams St. Louis. So yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah I, I think if you take a look at Keenan Allen's production this past season, you, you could make a you could certainly make a case. I mean thirteen hundred and ninety three yards uh, had six touchdowns more yards after the catch than than Landry did and was targeted approximately the same number of times, uh, you know, and yet came up with five hundred more receiving yards than Landry did. So uh, you know, I think Keenan Allen making eleven point three million dollars. again, I know that there's inflation, and year by year it has to be increased a little bit. But if you're to make an argument that Keenan Allen 11.3 is fair value or something close to fair value – then Landry at close to 14 that that would seem a little bit high to me.
1: Now, one of the major differences between Keenan Allen and Jarvis Landry and this is something that I didn't have down as a reason but it sort of comes up here when you look at this market valuation tool that Spotrac has is percentage of games played. And that's important because Jarvis Landry has played in every single game that the Dolphins have had. Now, he hasn't finished all of them because uh, every once in a while he ends up with, you know, a, a personal foul or something that gets him ejected as, as we saw in the Buffalo game. Maybe you have that is one of your reasons, the discipline issue, which is certainly worth getting into. But Jarvis Landry plays every game, and you can't say the same for Keenan Allen, who's at 68% of games played, or A.J. Green, who's at 90%. It doesn't always seem to be at 100%. Uh, d- durability is an ability in the NFL, and Jarvis Landry has demonstrated it.
2: Yeah, but you know, I, I I know we talk about that. It's Bill Parcell's this whole thing about, you know, you, you, you can't make the team from the training room, you can't help the team from the training room. And I understand that. But I do think now, some of that is a guy who's willing to play through injury and through pain. Jarvis again is his toughness, you know, should not be questioned at all. And I actually don't have a problem with the discipline issue. I'm gonna get into that, but mm. I, I would not make that one of my reasons. I, I don't think that's all that big a deal that you know that occasionally, although it's a little annoying with, you know, signaling after every barely beating the chains on a first down. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, don't, Getting I don't seven f-
1: yards on third and six, <laughs> spin the ball.
2: Right. I, I mean, it's a little much, but, yeah. but I, again, I, I don't look at that as a knock, a major knock against him. The fact that he plays with intensity, which is something that a lot of dolphins could learn from. So, but I think, you know, again, some of that, when I look at injuries in football, I mean, you could be injured on any play and it doesn't, it's, it's not a result of how durable you are. It's simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, you know, I think sometimes we make a little bit too much of that. Do you have a, another reason that you want to
1: Yes. All right. So you actually mentioned this on the flip side, right? So you mentioned the fact that the Dolphins have sort of precious resources and they have a lot of things to address, right? And, and they have some mm-hmm. contracts that, that are difficult. I would I, I would actually argue the opposite. So if you're not going to sign Jarvis Landry, you're going to have to use an early pick or other free agent dollars on bringing in a player like Jarvis Landry. Now, maybe you think in round three you can get a player that can produce like him, but, I mean, 100 catches a season is still 100 catches a season. This year, it was over that when you look at the way that he performed. I mean, Jarvis Landry led the league with 112 receptions. So he led the league. So so you look at that statistic and you say, all right, can you find even a a reasonable proximity of production – and I just think it it would take some financial or draft commitment in order to do that, or a trade commitment, however it is you go about doing it. I think if you don't bring him back, you're adding something else to the list of things that you need to address when that's already five, six, seven things deep. I I just think you fork out the money, and I'm telling you that, that there's something that tells you that's about market value for him, and are you going to add to the list of things that you need to address? All right, now this is going to touch on some of what I was going to
2: get into in in the overall reason number four and my second reason, and this may sound counterintuitive also, but I I almost think to a certain degree – and we saw this with Jay Ajayi a a little bit – that subtracting Landry, although obviously you want as many good players as you can have on your team, and you don't certainly want to be losing every player. We've talked about this in another podcast. Every time that they get to a second contract, anybody who's any good, you let the guy walk. Certainly that's not a great thing for your organization and to have to fill the need. But I do think to a certain degree, this team has been too reliant on Jarvis Landry over the past two to three years. And and then that may seem like a stupid reason, but I think when you look at it, what you mentioned earlier, I mean, the whole offense has basically been... Well, it was with J.H.I., you know, obviously, you know, running up the middle and then throwing these wide receiver flats to Jarvis Landry. And I think we saw at the end of the season, particularly, you know, when Jakeem Grant was given a little bit of playing time and they, they got some chunk plays down the field, that there seemed to be more available in the offense than Gase had really used when this team has been so Landry-dependent. I I don't necessarily think that you have to replace what Landry is doing. Maybe you just need to change the offense or get a receiver who fits a different sort of offense. And and again, I mentioned the Ajayi example – they traded JHIE. It was not a popular trade. Uh, it may have been made based on the fact that, that Gay simply didn't like him. But the reality is that did turn out to be over the, over the last eight or nine games of the season, uh, in addition by subtraction in the sense that uh, the offense was different with Kenyon Drake. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game?
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. ba da ba
2: So I'm, I'm not convinced that you have to necessarily get a player just like Jarvis Landry if you don't have Jarvis Landry. Maybe you take the money that you're going to spend on him and allocate it on other resources and change the way your offense is run. Because what we've certainly seen is – they have not been very good offensively. I mean, even the year before this one. And that was with Jarvis Landry being targeted 150-plus times a season. So maybe that's not the way to go here. And, and again, you mentioned it. Jarvis Landry led the league in catches was fourth in the league in targets this season. But again, I get back to this. The other three guys who were targeted a lot, DeAndre Hopkins, a guy who can get down the field, had 24 catches of 20-plus yards. Antonio Brown, 27 catches of 20-plus yards. And even Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, what is Larry Fitzgerald now, 30? How old is he He's at this 78 point? years old. Exactly. I think that was close. I was going to say <laughs> 77.
1: Uh, He's 34, by the way. He'll be 35 in August. Okay, so
2: 34 years old. Not the deep threat he was early in his career, but still had uh, 16 catches of 20-plus yards this past season so when I look at Jarvis Landry I say it's you know terrific that he's been consistent enough to you know produce 100 plus catches to get all those first downs but to me a lot of times he's felt like a crutch for this offense more than somebody who's actually exploiting the defense in any significant way
1: right and that, and that actually makes total sense but my problem with that would be Adam Gase's offense would not dramatically change that much if Jarvis Landry would to go so if you're just replacing someone if you're just replacing Jarvis Landry with someone else who'll do the same things but not as well I'm not seeing improvement now may, maybe they do end up br- you know bringing in entirely new scheme but I don't view Jarvis Landry as a crutch. I view Jarvis Landry as sort of the strength of the offense and what they're trying to do. So I guess you can kind of take the same thing and view it different ways. The lack of big play production, though, is is a totally under- understandable thing. And I totally understand if you want to use that as a criticism. But I don't think you can blame the player for ultimately the offense being the way that it is. The, the offense is that way, and then he's used that way. So I, I wouldn't necessarily blame him. Maybe... Jarvis Entry has this ability to create more plays that's not being tapped into, and it's not his fault that it's not being tapped into. It's just the way that the offense is being deployed. Understood, and no one is saying here, and I'm
2: certainly not saying that Jarvis is not a good player. I mean, he's a very good player, and he's been a very important player for them. I, I guess the case is being made, do you pay a player like that, who fits in the system like he does, do you pay that player the kind of money that we're talking about, and we're talking about money that is elite money, when you're talking about, you know, being within $2 million a year, potentially, of DeAndre Hopkins, who is a game-changing type player with Houston, and again, put up those numbers this year, playing with, you know, again, a rookie quarterback who showed tremendous potential, but was still a rookie, and you're talking about paying DeAndre Hopkins $16 million per, is Jarvis Landry worth within $2 million of that, even if the contract was signed a little bit later? Is Jarvis Landry worth more, than a guy like T.Y. T- Hilton, who again is a stretch the field type player and changes the dynamic for everyone else. And I guess the question becomes does Jarvis Landry's presence make the other players on the offense better? And I don't know to this point that we've necessarily seen that manifest itself,
1: right? I mean, but, but what do you think ha- ha- of, for example, when the Dolphins play the Patriots? and they go to Bill Belichick on NFL Films on the sideline, and he's very keen to point out to Matt Patricia, hey, what are we doing with Landry? Do we have two guys on him? Because I I, I do think that when you play the Patriots, there is sort of an examination of what do – he, what does he view your strengths to be? And if he views Jarvis Landry as the guy that needs to be stopped, isn't that doesn't that lead you to believe that he is a game-changing player? I don't think game-changing player ne- necessarily means you get 70-yard plays. I think it's, do you make the other team adjust to you? Do, do you worry the other team? And if Bill Belichick is most concerned with stopping him, wouldn't that lead you to believe that he is that player for the Dolphins?
2: Well, I think that plays into... The problems the Dolphins have at other positions, though, and that's again, true. you know, so if you don't have a tight end, and the Dolphins have not right had a tight end since Charles Clay left, right? I
1: mean, Jordan, Jordan Cameron didn't work out. Is their tight end, isn't
2: he? He is their tight end, and he and he is their running back out of the backfield, right? Yeah. So that's true. if you don't, if you don't, if you don't have those elements, I mean, they didn't have a pass catching running back until again they started incorporating Drake more in that this past season. So I guess the question with Belichick is well, well you've you've got to double somebody, right? You've got I mean you've got to worry about somebody and there hasn't been that guy and I think a lot of this speaks to Devontae Parker not sort of developing into what they hoped he would develop into. And and I, I do think that plays into this decision too, Chris, and, and this may be a case you know, for your side. If Devonte Parker was playing at the level consistently that the Dolphins thought he would when they drafted him in the first round, it would be much easier to let Landry walk here. And so it's almost like if you could take Landry's intangibles and put them into Devonte Bar- Parker's intangibles
1: or for or sort of his physical abilities, right? Then I mean you would have the
2: receiver that would be worth fourteen, fifteen million dollars a year, but. Considering the fact that those, it doesn't seem that one has what the other has, and and then that makes them complementary players. It doesn't make them elite players, or at least elite in terms of being paid top five, top ten at the position in the NFL.
1: Yeah, and I guess sort of all of this is interconnected, right? So you go back to the receiver position and and the way that that's played out. I think Kenny Stills has been a good player and a good signing and has had some really good games, but at times goes on inconsistent streaks. Devontae Parker is never consistent because he's never healthy and is frankly never produced at a high enough level, was frankly a a net negative over the course of the season rather than a net positive. I, I guess that does emphasize the need for a player like Landry, though, because you would say on the offensive side of the football, the only player that you know you're getting week-in, week-out performances from, that you know what you're getting, and you know that he's going to deliver at least a a tangible skill every single game, because there hasn't been a game. Last year, his lowest catch total was five. But uh, he's always at least giving you this skill set, and it's replicable week-in and week-out. I do think that consistency is of value to to an NFL team, and, and the fact that they really don't have... I guess you can say maybe going forward, you feel good enough about Kenyon Drake that he, you, you can call him consistent but he only really gave that to you for six games you don't know if maybe next season kind of like what happened with Jai uh, as well where once teams start to realize oh Kenyon Drake is the guy that we have to defend and, and we have to figure out a way to stop him then they do figure it out then what do you have left I, I think having someone in Jarvis Landry that you know week in week out gives you a replicable skill set is of value and, and I do think that that is worth an amount of money. Now, I guess the, ultimately the question that we're tackling is what amount of money? Right. And, and that is sort of what will, will be sort of figured out by the Dolphins and his agent. And I guess something else we can talk about is do you think that someone else, do you think that there's another NFL team that will value his skill set to the tune to this amount of money?
2: Well, I, I think there will be because there is always one, and there are some teams in the NFL. You look at San Francisco, you look at Chicago – in particular, who have young quarterbacks that they're looking to give a reliable target to. And I, I do think that those teams will overpay for someone like Jarvis Landry. And again, that's that's the word we keep coming back to, overpaying. And are the Dolphins in a position where they have to keep overpaying their own guys or, or, or other players in order to get them or to keep them? Um, but I do think that there will be a team or two out there that will be in that particular position that will will feel that they need to add someone. I mean, if you look at San Francisco right now, they don't really have a number one or a number two at this stage that they can count on. Chicago, you know, after Alshon Dre- Jeffrey left for Philadelphia, they don't really have that type of player. And you want to give your young quarterback somebody who is, a lot of the things that Landry is that we've gotten into, who is reliable and who does, you know, go out there every week. Uh, he's somebody that you can count on and he's somebody that you can go to consistently. I mean, you're talking about essentially 10 targets per game and, and that's something for a young quarterback to have that guy would be very valuable. I just, again, I come back to it for the dolphins. Is he worth that to them? And, and I do think we need to tackle this. I, I don't know if this is one of our, uh, as we get up to our fifth reason, but you know, I, again, I, I don't, think this has anything to do with some of sort of the character stuff that's been brought up. I, I, I to me, that doesn't really register uh, all that much. And I do think other teams will look at a lot of that as positives. If they if they have a young team, they're going to want a guy who is as passionate about the game as Landry is. And so I, I don't have an issue with any of that. And I think, again, if the Dolphins can get him somewhere closer to the $10 million, $11 million price tag then i that it would be a lot easier for me to make the case to keep him and to look past all these other issues that have been brought up again i just think at the 14 million dollar we're talking about something you know a player who has to you know dramatically change winning and losing for you regardless of the position that he's in and that's, that's just not something i think you can sort of uh, correlate Landry's production to the Dolphins wins I think it's very difficult to do that
1: now you you mentioned the off-field stuff and and to me this is two-pronged the first is that sort of discipline issue and and it feels like it's not just sort of limited to what happened in that final Buffalo game where he gets ejected Every single game, he gets into it with somebody. It's almost like he is constantly trying, and he does sort of view himself this way, as sort of this underdog that's always trying to prove himself, that he always feels this chip on his shoulder. He needs to show them that he's the boss on the field, and he's the alpha dog, and that he's sort of the one. And I don't know if it's necessarily detrimental. I just sort of find it useless. That's one thing. The second, and this does overall come back to the value of the contract and, and how much should he be paid. You look at his agent's comments. I would describe this as delusions of grandeur. So he his agent told the press, quote, superstars are meant to reset the market. His value to the seam is just as important as Julio Jones's. Take him away from the offense and see what you're left with, and you question it. You take Antonio Brown from the Steelers. Could Juju Smith-Schuster fill in? Could Martavis Bryant fill in? Do they have another player here? Uh, His agent Bilbo asked in regard to the Dolphins. That is a big part of the negotiation, too. What does the team look like without that guy there? So basically, Jarvis Langer views himself as of that quality, then that makes these negotiations very difficult. And that's ultimately the case that you're making is, is he actually worth that amount? Is he actually that kind of market-setting, franchise-changing kind of player? And if you don't think so, I would tend to agree with you. And and, and that is sort of ultimately the dividing line That is Frankly, the reason why – and we mentioned the Keenan Allen contract. With Keenan Allen, they just do it a year before he becomes a free agent and it's not even a mm-hmm. question – And that ultimately is actually my fifth reason, is the whole thing we talked about, because we talked about this on another Dolphins pod, the the second contracts. We were talking about why the Dolphins haven't had franchise success. They don't have their draft picks get to second contracts. And Jarvis Landry is a player who has developed, and you should have gotten that deal done after year three, where it's like, all right, we like this player, we like him as a part of our offense, and as a second contract, we want him on our team. That is ultimately my fifth reason. You can have your fifth reason as well, Mm -hmm. but... The Dolphins need to reward the draft picks that they've gotten, developed, and have turned into good NFL players that are valued on the NFL market. They can't just be Lamar Miller and Olivier Vernon every time. You have to keep those players, and I think Jarvis Landry is a player who fits that bill and is worth keeping.
2: And I generally agree with you about that, and I don't understand, uh, for one, why you wouldn't give him the contract or negotiate the contract with him before the season although I don't think Jarvis hurt his value at all this past season, I don't know that he necessarily helped it. He didn't uh, – the touchdowns is the one thing, right? He got up to nine touchdowns. That was a big question. But in terms of his other numbers, his other numbers were pretty much the same as they were the previous season. Again, I come back to this. Yards per catch, he's 108th in the league this year, 108th in the league. And here are, are some of the guys who are ahead of him in the 90s area. Jermaine Gresham, a tight end in Arizona, again a team that was playing without its starting quarterback. Even Julius Thomas, who you know obviously did not live up to expectations with Miami, right, was a you know a bust yep. in every conceivable way. Averaged 9.5 yards per catch on his 41 catches. Lamar Miller, Lamar Miller, averaged more yards per catch this past season. And I guess my question for the Dolphins would be, if they are considering giving him that kind of money, what about this season? made you think he was worth it in a way that you didn't think so before to extend him and perhaps save a little bit off the top because he wouldn't be hitting the open market, and, and to move
1: forward that way. And, and that's a hard thing for me to figure out. And you know who actually makes this whole thing harder? Jay Cutler. Because you look at where the Dolphins were from a salary cap point of view, uh, heading into last season, they had about $8.5 left over, right? And then Ryan Tannehill gets hurt, you bring in Jay Cutler for $10 million, and you can't roll over that cap this year. So that's $10 million you don't have in terms of leeway. They've got a lot of their salary cap already tied up, and Jay Cutler might have made, not signing Jay Cutler, or even Ryan Tannehill playing 16 games, or even just going with Matt Moore for 16 games, might have made the difference between being able to afford this contract and not. And if you're asking why didn't the Dolphins do this before last year, I think it's probably because all the same factors that we're talking about were the same ahead of the year. If Jarvis Landry has delusions of grandeur now, he probably had delusions of grandeur before the season. This is probably what he was asking for before the season. So the Dolphins have just always been reticent about paying it, hesitant about paying it. And so I guess the question is, do they just see it through and let him go? Well, I don't think what helps their case either. You mentioned the
2: Cutler move too and paying him $10 million last year and you would have had that money available. What, what also doesn't help their case is the fact that they they took care of a couple of guys that didn't pan out this past year right they they didn't have to give Kiko Alonso that extension and they did and now you know Kiko is coming off a bad year and is not even someone necessarily that you would want to project as a full-time starter next year but you don't have a choice because it, it costs you more to cut him than to keep him. The other guy is Andre Branch, who they yep. decided to pay, and uh, he didn't work out either, didn't produce at the level of the previous year, which looked
1: like a career year at the time, and it proved oddly it enough. Oddly enough, this, the kind of second contract guys that we're talking about, but they were free agent in trades, right? Mm-hmm. So you're giving them, in some respects, their third contract, but you're, you're, you're rewarding guys for their performances, but you didn't draft them yourselves. That, that for me, is the bizarre thing of that.
2: Well, and it almost seemed like the Kiko move was in some way, you know, a way to justify a trade that they made. Um, you know, they didn't end up keeping Byron Maxwell. Um, well, at least they did into the next season, but not throughout the entire next season. Uh, but they they did take care of, of Alonzo, and again, that didn't work out. And so if you're Landry, you're looking around at some of these other contracts, I would assume, and wondering, well, why are they taking care of these? I mean, the only one that, that's, that worked out that made any sense at the time and, and ended up working out was the Rashad Jones move. And so if you're again, if you're Landry, you're thinking, well, now you're going to take care of me. And look, there's no question he's been one of their most productive players and certainly their most consistent productive player on offense over the past three seasons. But again, I come to this. You have a team and this was going to sort of be my last reason. You take a look at the rest of the roster and they just have so many holes. And so, you know, you talk about what did you said the cap was one hundred seventy six million, right? Mm-hmm. Or Roughly. Yep. roughly. So. So if you're talking about paying Landry 14 or 15, you're talking about paying him, what, roughly nine uh, percent of your cap, eight to nine percent of your entire cap. You know, that's a pretty big chunk when you're talking about a team that at this stage still needs help on its offensive line. Still needs, you know, probably, probably going to address this in the draft. Needs a tight end, maybe maybe two tight ends, right? Fasano may or may not retire, but you probably need two tight ends. You need a running back, uh, you know, to pair with Kenyon Drake. Certainly, and even Gase has said that he doesn't project sort of being, you know, going with one back, carrying the entire burden. So you need somebody to pair with him. The defensive line, you're going to need some reinforcements there. The linebacker position, even if Raquan McMillan comes back and is is very productive. You still need another player there. You probably need another safety for the long term. And even if you feel like you've taken care of your two starting corner spots for the foreseeable future. So this is just a team. And then that doesn't even get into the quarterback issue with, depending on what they decide to do with Tannehill may end up costing the money down the road too. So it just strikes me as a lot of money to give to a player who's a very good player. I'm usually against getting rid of good players on teams that don't have enough good players, but it just strikes me as a ton of money to give up to a guy who again uh you know we're talking about you know being 108th in the league in yards per catch you know at some point that does begin to matter and uh and we've also seen you know other teams have have sort of made do with other receivers you talk about you know Minnesota for is one example they didn't invest a lot in their in their starting receivers right i mean Diggs was sort of looked over by a lot of teams in the draft you know, Adam Thielen on the other side wasn't even drafted, right? And and they've, you know, Minnesota had a pretty productive season this year. And and again, I I don't know you necessarily need an elite number one or to be paying for an elite number one to be able to have success in the NFL.
1: And you, you look at what Adam Thielen and, and, and those guys are owed. Uh, now, actually, the Diggs case is interesting. He's on his last year of his rookie deal. So if Minnesota kind of gets ahead of that, uh, they'll, they'll be signing him to an extension this offseason. The numbers on that will be interesting. I, and I think uh, you, you, we, we sort of talked around the, the idea of, you know, the other receivers in the market. And if you think that Jarvis Landry is sort of in and around that T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen, A.J. Green, and maybe you think he's a level below and, and, and isn't worth ultimately that free, free agent market value. I do wonder if they take a similar tack that the Heat have taken, which is go and find your value. Go and find, and then of course we do have the franchise slash transition tag option that 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 is also in play as well. But does Jarvis Landry go and find that team that is like the Giants were with Olivier Vernon, or like the Texans were with Lamar Miller, or like the Dallas Mavericks were with Hassan Whiteside? That mm-hmm. team that that presents the leverage.
2: Yeah, and, and you know the likelihood is he will. Uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, and again I know this cuts against my case, but the likelihood is that he would find a team. You know that is looking for receivers. That is desperate for receivers at this point for their young quarterback. So, you know, is he going to win right away? Well, San Francisco did win in the second half of the season when Garoppolo took over. I don't know how close the Bears are. They have a, a coaching change there. Uh, I know a lot of the fear for the Dolphins is that somehow, uh, because this always seems to happen, he's going to end up in New England, right? Like then, and, and then he'll be catching 150 balls a year. But again, I think New England is sort of an example of why you don't necessarily need. Uh, And, again, it helps to have Tom Brady for sure, but you don't necessarily need to have an elite guy at the receiver position. I mean, Julian Edelman was, what, a a college uh, quarterback. Wes Welker was a guy who caught, what, 40 balls with Miami and goes up there. And so, you know, Brandon Cooks is really the only guy uh, since Randy Moss who had been, you know, sort of an elite guy somewhere else or close to elite who they've gone after – so would New England make a play for Jarvis Landry? Would that be the Dolphins' worst nightmare? Probably. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, you know, and, and that, he'd probably... be
1: so perfectly Belichick, too. It,
2: it would, and, and you mentioned the respect that he has for him, and they would like his fire up there and all the rest, and he'd probably help extend Brady's career, and I know I'm talking myself out of my own argument, but I, I, I don't think that's the reason. You have to do what's best for your particular balance sheet, and the Dolphins' balance sheet right now is already warped. I mean, they've got – when when you have contracts where you want to cut players on your team but you can't because it costs you more money to cut them than it does to keep them, you're not in a good place. When you have a situation where you've paid – and again, I know they can restructure the deal, but you've paid a defensive tackle as much money as you've paid a defensive tackle. And and as well as he's played, it hasn't marginally – it hasn't been a big upgrade to your defense overall. That's also a problem. They they They're paying guys – at the wrong positions. And I think it comes back to what we've talked about, which is do you, if you think Jarvis Landry is an elite number one, you're probably okay with paying him 14, $15 million a year because you feel that that's what that position may be worth. But if you feel he's just a step below that, then I have a hard time getting from say 10, 11 million up to the 14 million. That's $3 million that could be used somewhere else uh, on this team. And this is a team that needs depth.
1: All right. So final verdict. Uh, I think they should keep him. You think they should you think they should let him go? I think if the price gets too
2: high, I would put it at 11 or 12 million dollars. I think if it gets above the 11 or 12 I I, I again, I look at the Keenan Allen contract, 11.3 million dollars. Again, Keenan Allen you can make an argument was more productive, better quarterback for sure, but mm-hmm. but more productive. You can than say Jarvis a better player. More productive in his particular situation, uh is what I would say. I think if you could get Jarvis Landry for Keenan Allen money, then, yeah, I think you, you, I'm okay with going ahead with it. I think that number starts to get into the $14, 15000000 million range, and I, I think you restructure your offense, try to invest the resources other ways, and, and move forward that way.
1: Alright, so that is the final verdict on the Jarvis Landry conundrum that the Dolphins are facing as we tackle this on the 5 Reasons podcast. Again, if you want to check out our episode on the Cleveland Cavaliers or any of our first two episodes on the Dolphins and on the Heat, those are all available on this feed. Subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, whatever it is you use for your podcast. They are available. We'll see what we have in the hopper coming up soon. Do stay tuned. Do stay subscribed. Send Send a review into iTunes as well so we can climb the charts there as well appreciate you listening to the five reasons podcast that'll do it for this one